be reading from Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse 52, 30, I'm sorry. Uh, I gave a scripture earlier that I'm supposed to turn these in on Monday, but I really never know what I'm going to be preaching on Monday, so the text will change, although the basic sermon is close. <laughs> I didn't expect the Lord to inspire you on Monday for what you have to do the following Sunday. As Jesus here is talking, he said, Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. You're not supposed to have come to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace with a sword, for I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. You ever thought about exactly what a disciple is, what discipleship is? Well, we know in the New Testament there were 12 special disciples that were called by Jesus. But there were many more disciples in the New Testament. And there are a lot of disciples today as well. You may not have heard of Richard Tigersman. Uh, he lived in the 13th century, and he wrote a poem. And in that poem, he said that he had three things to pray to know, be more clear, to know, uh, to uh, uh, love more dearly. However, that was changed by Gospel in the early 1970s, and they turned it into a song to see the more clearly, to love the more dearly, to follow the more near. It seems to me that's a great prayer for a disciple, and I just want for us to look at that outline today. First of all, the prayer of the disciple to see the more clearly. Can you see God? No, not, not really. Uh, in fact, uh, Paul says that the God of this world has blinded the eyes of those that will not see. In some ways, we're blinded, but we're also not worried. You see God? You're called Moses. Say, God, I want to see your glory. I said, yeah, you know what you're asking? If you see my glory, you're going to die. Tell you what I'll do. I'll hide you up there in the cleft of the rock. Put my hand over here so you can't see my glory. When I pass by, you can see me from the back side. You know, you can't really look at the sun. You know, you can't. You're blind in a short time. This sun that was created by the Almighty God is more bright and more glorious than anything that the sun could ever produce. No man can see God and still live. Now, there was a man in the Old Testament by the name of Manoah. He was the father of Samson. You know Samson. But 
the Lord appeared to the Lord and his wife, and he said to his wife, we're going to die because she saw God. And she said, well, if that was going to happen, we'd already be dead. Now, no doubt, they didn't really see God as he was. Maybe a projection, maybe an angel. God appeared in that way a number of times in the Old Testament. Then in the New Testament, one day I Philip, and the other disciples were with Jesus, and Philip said, show us the Father. Jesus said, you've been with me all this time, and you don't understand, and you say, show me the Father. He said, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Now, what was the problem there? The problem was not with his physical eyes. He certainly saw Jesus physically. Jesus was talking about something more than how he looked physically. In fact, you know, in the Bible, it never describes how Jesus looked. We don't have any pictures of him, only renditions that people have created. But the disciples saw him physically. That's not the kind of eyes that we need. We need spiritual eyes to be able to see God. Hold him as he is. Uh, certainly, uh, you know, there have been times in history that people wanted to see God, and we did as well, but we can't see him with the physical eyes that we have. Jesus healed at least three men in the blind. One of those men came up to him and he said, Lord, heal me. And Jesus took him outside of town, and then he took some saliva, touched his eyes, and he said, Can you see that one? He said, Well, I can see that the men look like trees in the walking. So Jesus touched him again. Then he was able to see clearly. And he saw Jesus with the physical eyes. I've often wondered you know, why the first time he couldn't see clearly. And then it occurred to me, you know, maybe it's because he was blind all his life, and all the, the, the pathways of the mind had not been uh, created for him to be able to perceive what he was seeing. Probably they have seen the same movie that I saw at first sight. And it was by a guy by the name of Virgil. And when he was very young, before he could even remember, he lost his eyesight. And uh, they tried all kinds of doctors and even faith healers, but nothing made any good. And so he accepted that and became a sensitive resort. One day there was a, a lady, all this is based on a true story. It was a lady by the name of Timmy. She was sort of a workaholic. And they met and they liked each other. They started dating and eventually they were married. And she was trying to convince him to try something else. And at first he was reluctant. Finally, he went to the, the top eye surgeon in all of Manhattan. He said, I think I can help you. So he performed the surgery and he took the bandages off a few days later. And he screamed out because he could suddenly see, but he could not interpret what he saw. And so he took an apple, and he had to close his eyes to feel it, and then to smell it. And it actually took him several months for his brain to be rewired so he could understand what he was seeing. The important sight of the believer to see God spiritualized. Seeing what we could not see. Now, Paul said, right now, the spiritual things we see through a glass dark. 
And it will be that way all of your life to some extent. But, you know, I have seen some people that have become Christians. And it seems like their vision of God becomes better and better every day. And they, they, they study the Bible, they pray, they seek the face of God. And eventually, they get not 20-20 vision, but they get a better picture of God than most of the rest of us have ever had. That's what the prayer is. God, let me see you more clearly. And we know that one day, Paul says, right now we're looking for a boy that passed the but then, face to face, one day we're going to see him face to face. And First John talks about that. He says, we're going to see him as he is. Paul speaks about having the heart of life, the eyes of God gives us spiritual eyes when we become believers. While we don't see God as clearly as we one day will, God wants for us to see Him as clearly in this world as we possibly can. And it does not come about by just sitting around. It comes by seeking the face of God, wanting to know His will. Side of praise we might see thee more clearly. Secondly, that we might love thee more dearly. Out of the Bible indicates that not everybody loves God. In fact, much of the world seems to hate him. Paul was like that himself. He was actually seeking to persecute the Christians. And he said, We were enemies of God. We were not friends of God. We didn't love God. We were actually hating God because of what we were doing. Certainly, we see that with Jesus, who was the very image of God. Look at what they did to Jesus. They, they, they hated him. They didn't love him. They, they, they wanted to put him away because they believed that his teaching was false. He was teaching a false faith. He was a lawbreaker. He was leading other people astray. And so, eventually, they plotted him, and he was seized, and he was tried in a kangaroo court, and he was tortured. Beyond measure, and he was killed on the cross, all because they hated him. In the New Testament church, it was dangerous to be a Christian. Many of the early Christians had to flee, or some were killed, of the disciples. Probably everyone, with maybe one exception, were killed for the faith that they had. Paul probably died. But when he appeared before season, Peter, according to church tradition, was crucified but upside down. Every one of them was willing to give themselves because they loved God more. And here in these verses he says, you have to love God more than anything else. More than your father, your mother, your son, your daughter. Whoever does not love God that way is not worthy of him, he said. Of persecution of Christians in the world today. We don't hear very much about it. But it's said that there's more persecution today than in all history. In our countries in North America, we pretty much have the freedom to practice religion as we want. We might be insulted, but we're 
about the practice as we will. That came basically from a Christian tradition where everybody's allowed to believe whatever they want to believe, not so in any other countries. I've been reading about uh, the Islamic countries of the world, and it is illegal to lead somebody to Christ and to renounce the Islamic religion. And even more so, somebody that is converted is put to death. When I was in Canada, I had a student from the Sudan. He had to flee from his life. He was about to be put to death. He got out and he fled, never to go back because he was not allowed to be a Christian. Many of the communist countries, there's persecution. China today, persecution is coming back after being somewhat tolerant for a while. Now they're being persecuted. People hate the people of God as they hate God himself. In fact, even in North America, you find people that say that they hate God. Some of those same people say that they don't believe in God. Which is a logical inconsistency. If God is not there, why would you hate him at all? <laughs> so what are we called to do? We are called to love God. Spoke about this last week with all of our hearts, and all of our souls, and all of our you ever thought about what the greatest of all the sins might be? David, David committed most of them. What we would consider the greatest. Uh, one of those would be murder, he committed murder. That's terrible because that person doesn't come back in this world, not in this life. Then there's adultery, sin against God, and sin against partner. David likewise committed adultery. That's the phrase. And then there's theft and robbery. I was reading about uh, people that are retired and they're those who are basically taking all the money that they save in their life for retirement so that they have no more. That would be a tragedy. But none of those are the greatest sin. It seems to me the greatest sin is breaking the greatest commandment. Greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. If we do not do that, then we have committed the greatest sin, the greatest offense against God. And what's the proof that we love God? Now, this last well, Friday of the Bible study, I happened to be there, and gave this verse here. And, uh, 1 John 5, 21. Those who love God must love their own believers. How do you know if you really love God or you really love yourself and you pretend to love God? That is, you always put yourself first. If you don't love other believers, then you really don't love God at all. To love me, what do you do? In 1903, in Wales, a pastor, and he was concerned about the spiritual condition of the people. And so they had a couple of days of meeting. There was a teenage girl by the name of Florey Evans. Florey was deeply touched by what he said, and she was so disturbed she wouldn't talk to the pastor. And he said to her, Well, Florey, have you ever surrendered your life totally to Jesus Christ? And made him more. And she had never thought of it in those terms before. She just knew that there was something missing in her life. 
So she did. A short time later, the youth of the church were meeting. The pastor challenged them and he said, What was Jesus Christ to you? And they were kind of awkward in their silence and finally the break the silence. One young man said, uh, Jesus is the hope of the world. And the pastor said, Yes, but what did Jesus do? Yeah. Before he ends, she said, I love the Lord Jesus with all my heart. That brought a great movement of the Spirit in that small movement that began to spread throughout the hills. Came to America with India, uh, South Korea, many countries around South Africa, and an awakening took place in uh, 1905 called the Welsh Awakening. And partly it came about because this one girl began to love Christ as she had never loved him before. The Holy Spirit used that as an opportunity to bring the others to himself. See the evil here. Love the evil here. Follow the evil here. And our text speaks about that. In verse 38, Jesus said, Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Following Christ, you're not willing to follow him. All the way, you're not following him at all. And in that there's going to be a cost. Perhaps that's something that we don't talk about very much today. The cost of being a disciple. And if there is no cost in your life, there's no cost in my life. Maybe you're not really disciples at all. Remember King David, the nation had sinned and God sent punishment. And so it was necessary for him to build an altar and a sacrifice before God that that curse might end. And so he went to a man and he offered to buy a piece of land to build an altar and to make sacrifices. The man said, no, you're the king. He said, you just take the land and I'll provide the animals for the sacrifice. And David said, no, I would never presume to offer God that which cost me nothing. Dietrich Bonhoeffer the pastor during the Second World War. He understood tragedies, travesties that the Nazis were doing against the Jews and others. And he spoke out against them, based on persecution. He actually came to the United States. He was offered a job as a professor of the state, and he went back and said to Germany, because he believed that's where God wanted him to be. Eventually, his words and his feet got him into trouble. He was put into a concentration camp. While there, he wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship, saying that if you are to be a, a true disciple of Christ, you must be willing to the cost. Just days before he was in the rescue, he was put to death for the faith that he had. Not for sure that as a young pastor, long time ago. I would talk to people about Christ and I would stress believing in them, which is important. 
But at first I was not stressing anything about what that might involve later. Some of those people made a decision for Christ and then they fell away. And I began reading about how Jesus again and again stressed that there is a cost to following him. It says in John 6, 66, many of his disciples fell away. They turned away. Why is that? Uh, they, they, they followed him uh, because of the miracles that he performed. He healed many of them. Because of the words that he spoke. And the Bible says uh, they heard him gladly because he spoke as one with the word, the great mystery. Following the cause, he fed them in the hunger. And as he began to stress the cost, he fell away, turning in another direction. The cost of following Christ, it is with all of us. And there's a, it says in here in verse 32, Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. One cost that you need to be willing to follow Christ wherever that means. At any cost. It all of us have heard about the Titanic. And uh, it was well publicized and well known. But there was another one that took place in Canada. It was the Empress of Ireland. And on that ship, there were about a thousand people, and very few survived. It was hit by another ship. They go to, then again, they go down. There were 171 Salvation Army officers there. People that had like just necks put them on. The Salvation Army people, as they went into the water with their jackets, they realized there were other people that were swimming not able to keep themselves up. And so they went to them. They swam to them. And they said, are you a Christian? And if they said no, they said, take my, my jacket. I'm better able to die than you are. Do we believe so strongly in our faith in Christ that we would be willing to die because we are able to die better? Jesus said, we must deny ourselves, take up our crosses, follow him. Follow me on you. Would you follow me? Gracious Father, thank you for your glory. Thank you for speaking to our hearts today, not just 2,000 years ago. That your spirit indwells us and molds us and makes us after the image of Christ. Father, help us truly we might follow you with all our being. We might see you clearly, we might love you dearly, and we might follow you on the earth each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.